This episode is sponsored by me, Andy Hill, the host of this show. If you're looking for someone to support you on your family, wealth, and happiness journey, I'm taking on a select number of coaching clients this year. To work with me one-on-one for your family finances, go to marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more. For most people, you're going to build your wealth over time, and it should be a very natural process. And, you know, this is the purpose of capitalism. We're in a capitalist society, and, you know, you need to acquire capital. And that means, like, buying index funds where you're owning businesses all across the U.S., all across the world, whether that means owning farmland, whether that means owning physical real estate. There's a lot of ways to do it, but at the end of the day, you have to own some sort of capital. show is dedicated to helping you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Welcome to the Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, everybody. This is Andy Hill, and today we are going to do two things. First, we'll be answering a question from the Marriage, Kids, and Money community about what to do after maxing out your Roth IRA. Hmm. Second, we are back with our Coast Fire segment. This quarter, we're going to be featuring David from Minnesota, who, alongside his wife, Allie, grew their retirement investments to over $500,000, and they are in their early 30s, people. Oh, my. (laughs) All right, let's jump into today's show. I received a question from Eric on Instagram, and here it is. No kids, 32 years old, my wife and I are maxing out our Roth IRAs each month and wondering what to do next investment-wise. My employer 401k has no match and the expense ratios are really high, around 1.5 to almost 2%. Eric, thank you so much for reaching out on Instagram. If you guys want to connect with me on Instagram, I'm at Marriage Kids and Money. Love answering questions like this on the show. So shoot me a note there. Shoot me a voicemail, marriagekidsandmoney.com slash voicemail. Eric, congratulations on maxing out your Roth IRAs. That is huge. And that is a, it's a surefire way just to have a great nest egg when you retire. So kudos there. Now you are wondering what to do next, especially with not so great 401k situation at work. That kind of does stink with no match and then the high expense ratios. So to help me answer your question, I've invited Nick Majuli on the show today. Nick is the chief operating officer and data scientist at Ritholtz Wealth Management, where he oversees operations across the firm and provides insights on business intelligence. He's also the author of the new book, Just Keep Buying, Proven Ways to Save Money and Build a Wealth which is out now, everybody. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks for having me on, Andy. Absolutely. Well, let's help answer Eric's question here right away. If he and his wife are maxing out the Roth IRAs, which is a great thing, what other smart investment options are there out there for them? There's a couple different things they could do. It really depends on kind of where they expect to spend money. You know, obviously there's things like health savings accounts, which you can put money into if you have uh, expected medical expenses. If you don't have any sort of expected medical expenses, then you can do things like, I would say, just having a brokerage account. Like that's post-tax money. You just have it there and you can, it's a lot of flexibility there. So I don't necessarily think you need to load up on more and more, you know, non-taxable accounts. Like, you know, given the situation with the 401k that is 
is, uh, you know, it's kind of unfortunate. You're, as you said, Andy, it's, it's unfortunate that they don't offer a match. And on top of that, the, if they even were to match, like all the investment choices are pretty high in terms of the fees, right? So I would worry less about that. And especially because they have no kids, they probably might need a little bit more flexibility in the next few years in case they have children or if they need to buy a house or whatever. I don't know their exact situation. But if depending on that, I think a brokerage account is great. And we can kind of get into why a brokerage account can be great in a second here. Let's talk about that because I think there's lots of people out there cheering for the Roth IRA, which is great, but a regular taxable brokerage might suffice for a lot of people. Can you talk about, I guess, the differences and why one might go the other way? Yeah. So there's something that a lot of people don't know. It's like, this is just for a single individual. If your only income, so let's say you're not working, let's say you're retired or something. If your only income is capital gains, so let's just say dividends and you're selling stocks that have gains, right? up to $40,000 is tax-free, 0% tax rate, right? So let's say you have a million dollar portfolio and it's all, let's say, mostly capital gains. You've been investing a long time. So if you were to, normally, if you have normal income, normal working year, if you sell that, usually you have to pay 15% because you have some sort of income. But if you have no other income and you're just doing that, you can sell up to $40,000 a year and the tax is zero, right? And if you include the standard deduction, now you're at about 50,000 for an individual. Now you have a couple, a couple can sell, you know, can basically have double that, right? hundred thousand dollars a year tax free. Now I know I, I don't want to speak for any of your listeners or anything, but that's a decent amount of money. A hundred thousand dollars a year tax free. That's like, that's more than a lot of people I know in the city spend. That's probably more than a lot of couples even spend a hundred thousand Remember, This is after tax money, right? So I think a brokerage account is a lot, is a lot more benefits than people realize. So just don't, I mean, I know it's post-tax money and so you're not going to get some of those tax savings, but in theory, if you are, you know, if you're retired and that's the only income you have, like you can get tax free. It's almost like having a non-taxable account on the growth in your earnings, right? It makes sense. I mean, so why would anybody do a Roth IRA then if it has such a benefit there? Because with a Roth IRA, you can't really touch it until retirement age, but taxable brokerage, you could. This is a good question, but there is, I mean, the issue is people probably are going to earn income. And so if you're earning income and you start pulling money out, like all of your brokerage account, like the cap gains, you do have to pay, you have to pay 15%, right? So I'm usually, or if it's really high, it's 20%, et cetera, right? But let's just say 15%. So what, what you're really avoiding is that 15%. So for example, in my book, I discuss a lot of these like tax things in one of the chapters. And one of the things I found is roughly how big is that, you know, that fi- avoiding that 15% long-term capital gain, how much is that worth like on average per year, right? And so I run a simulation and it's about 0.7% a year. So what that basically means is if your 401k is charging you 0.7% more than what you would be charged in like a brokerage account by picking your own funds or whatever, then all of the tax benefit is wiped out basically, right? So that's, and there's a lot of 401ks as as in this case with Eric's where he's paying 1.52%. All you need is 0.7%, anything above 0.7 and your your kind of tax benefit is wiped out. So like the trade-off is like some sort of 401k versus a brokerage account. And it's like, if the fees are high enough in the 401k, there's really no point in doing that, right? Above the match at least, right? So this all above the match money, right? So just something to keep in mind. I think that's a really good point for Eric. So if he's feeling any sort of, well, maybe I should still do the 401k with these high fees. I mean, it sounds like that's a big no, right? Yeah, I would say definitely not. I mean, with a match, I could see it even with it kind of sucks, but like with no match, like, yeah, no, no offense. I would just not do that at all. I would keep my money on the outside. It's more flexible. I think it's gonna be better for your life overall, Eric. Now, well, let's say Eric is uh, really smart and he listens to financial podcasts all the time. Is there a conversation that he could have with his employer to say, look at this? I mean, this is ridiculous what you're doing. How can we improve our situation? Have, have you talked to anybody about that? Kind of approaching your employer to say, I don't know, this has got to be better. 
I mean, I, it really, I mean, this is, it's a tough conversation to have, but like, unless you can get a bunch of employees together, say, Hey, can we fix this? I'm guessing it's a cost issue. I'm wondering if I don't know how 401ks are set up in that way. Like, does someone get a kickback? Is it because like, why, why were those plans chosen? Right. Cause there's a lot of options out there that are far, far cheaper. Right. So maybe there was a reason, maybe the people, the people they knew that got the 401k set up their old friends. And he's like, well, I'm just giving them business. And so because of that, they end up having it being in these high fee plans. I don't, you know, so I don't know. I don't, and that's the thing. It's really touchy subject, but like, yeah, if you want to, I would say, why, why are we in this? And there's probably a reason that makes sense there. I don't No employer would, would just want to do that to their employees. There's always usually some sort of motive for why this is happening. And you have to figure out what that motive is. This isn't the first time I've seen this too. I mean, lots of people have these high fees with their 401ks and it just, I guess, having been in the conversation for a while, it just seems like a shame, especially for people with the retirement crisis we've got going on here and people being prepared. So let's talk about just maybe having a general balance. We're talking about the benefits of Roth, the benefits of taxable, maybe even the benefits of taking advantage of a pre-tax 401k if people do have decent options and a match. Is there a right percentage for people as they're looking to kind of have some, I guess, diversification across taxable accounts or the tax situation in general? What do you think? Yeah. So I think you definitely should have some in non-taxable, whether that's a pre-tax 401k or a Roth, like kind of, you've already paid the income tax. Because remember, when we talk about taxable versus non-taxable, what we're usually talking about is capital gains, right? It's like with a pre-tax 401k or a Roth 401k, that's the income tax component that has nothing to do with the growth on the earnings, right? And all that growth on the earnings is going to get taxed again, which is the capital gain. So I just want to make sure we're all clear on that. So like, Pre-tax versus Roth, that's a big thing already in terms of the income tax you pay and when you pay it. I personally prefer the traditional, which is the pre-tax, where it's like, because you can play tax games later. You have a little bit more flexibility in where you pay your taxes. For example, I'm in a high-tax state now in New York. If I know I'm going to retire in a place like Florida or Texas, where I know there's no state income tax, there's a tax arbitrage to be played there. Well, in retirement, I'm I'm avoiding the, the high New York state taxes, but then later, maybe I'll pay a lower state tax in another state. That's an option, right? So that's just with the income side. But with the capital gain side, you have to think about like, okay, how much is it worth for that benefit? I just said 0.7% is a rough proxy. What percentage your assets should be in which? I don't know. I've done around 50-50. And like, it's like halves for you, halves for future you. I use that 50-50 split a lot because there's a lot of, I found a lot of different things in finance where the the 50-50 split actually ends up working. But I don't know. There's no right answer. I mean, it's technically you could have it all outside, all post-tax money in like a brokerage account. And I said there are options you can use. And there's a lot more flexibility there. But if you're ever tempted to touch money and stuff, having it kind of locked up makes it a little bit harder to get to and could, could help you if you have like discipline issues with spending. Having options, I guess, is good for everything. Diversification can't hurt, right? And when we're talking about, you know, the tax situation or where our taxes might be when we want to retire, we don't know how much income we're going to be having or what the tax situation in our country might be. So having some flexibility there is good. Nick, as we're having this conversation, there's kind of a down market right now going on and people are a little confused about what to invest in and where to go. There's lots of noise out there about what to do, what not to do. What advice would you have for people as they're sort of deciding what to invest in if they're getting started right now? Yeah. So the, I always say there's, there's a lot of ways to get rich. There's only a couple ways to go broke and we can get into that in a second, but there's really a lot of ways to get rich. You can get rich in real estate. You can get rich in stocks, you know, owning stock index fund, low cost stock index funds. You can get rich with farmland. I've heard of people investing in royalties. So there's a lot of options. I don't want to say you have to do this, but I would say explore the options, look at the risk profiles, kind of look at how these things have declined in the past. Imagine yourself going through that, living through that. Think of it in dollar terms, not just percentages, right? So like, oh, if I have a 
hundred thousand dollar portfolio, you know, could I, would I be okay seeing it go to $50,000 while, you know, in a, you know, a crazy event like 08 or 2000, 2003, et cetera. Right. So think about that and then pick the options that you think that are going to let you sleep at night. That's really the key, right? It's like figuring out what works for you. I don't want to tell you go buy, you know, S&P 500 index fund because that's not right for everyone, right? I don't want to say go buy international stocks because some people aren't going to see the logic in that either. So I don't think there's any right answer, but there are wrong answers. So it's just like try to avoid the very, very risky, high leverage, those types of things. Avoid those types of investments and just pick things that have a standard level of risk, which is like market risk. I think that's fine. Anything beyond that is where you can start to get into trouble. I think that's a great answer. I would say, you know, taking the time to educate yourself on what's out there and then kind of realizing that there's no one size fits all for everybody and everybody's situation is very unique in that case. Well, let's talk about just general mistakes that you see people making out there that maybe they could avoid through our conversation. What are some of the biggest mistakes with regard to investing you've seen? I think, yeah, I just mentioned one of them, levering up too much. Anything like Anything that could lead to ruin is usually bad. So whether that means high costs, so like high paying high fees, spending too much money, just having really out of control spending where you just have no like discipline at all, right? Obviously for a lot of people, they don't have high income, so they don't really have a choice, but there's people who have high income and very high spending and they probably could probably, you know, rein it back. That's one thing. So think about the costs. And the other one is, as I said, high risk. So anything, anytime you do any sort of high risk or a concentration of risk, that's where things can usually go wrong. And risk doesn't have to be like, oh, I bought a bunch of like crazy levered funds. It could be like, oh, I used to be invested in a 60-40 and I got scared and I sold everything and moved to cash. That is a risky move. And it's not risky in the short term, but in the long term it is. Because if you keep doing those types of moves, like imagine you did that in COVID in early March 2020, right? Move to cash. Like I'm going to wait till the dust settles. Well, six months later, you're at all time high. You just missed one of the biggest rallies and then one of the quickest rallies we've ever seen. So that's risky, right? You just lost money without realizing it. You you didn't like your dollar amount didn't go down, but you lost where you could have been if you hadn't sold. You know what I'm saying? So you have to think about like your opportunity costs as well, which is like what you gave up to make that decision. So I would say risk works, works both ways and to avoid the high risk and the high cost scenarios. Yeah, I would say based on your book title, you are a fan of just continuing to buy and taking advantage of the market, dollar cost averaging. Talk to us about why you like this mantra, just keep buying. Because it's easy and you can follow it through thick and thin. And that's, that's the, at the end of the day, people need, I, I, well, I just say there's no perfect answer to everything. I think the one thing I can say is a, the long-term, you know, accumulation of assets is, is how you build wealth. Right. And I think for a lot of people, it's not like we have this one, you know, we don't, are all business owners and have a massive IPO and just get all this money at once. For most people, you're going to build your wealth over time and it should be a very natural process. And, you know, this is the purpose of capitalism. We're in a capitalist society and how do you, uh, you know, you need to acquire capital. And that means like buying, you know, index funds where you're owning businesses all across the U.S., all across the world, whether that means owning farmland or that means owning physical real estate. There's a lot of ways to do it, but at the end of the day, you have to own some sort of capital, right? It's the only way, I think, to consistently get rich in this country. I mean, there are other ways. Of course, you can try and be a sports star. You can try and be a famous actor, actress, but at the end of the day, those are less likely that to get to, to build some sufficient level of wealth to live a decent life compared to just buying over time, a, a diverse set of income producing assets. Well, there's somebody listening right now and they heard the top of our conversation where we were saying, Hey, you know, if you've got some 401k situation with no match and these high fees, maybe just doing a taxable brokerage account is a smart move. Do you have any advice on brokerage partners to work with that keep those fees low out there? 
I mean, I, for compliance reasons, I don't want to mention names. I don't want to, cause I can talk about our custodian stuff, but I'm not trying to promote anything like that. But I would just look around and look for fees. Look who's not charging fees on trading. Look who like, you know, as long as it, mo- there's a lot of custodians you can get stuff at, as long as you're not being charged fees, that's really the most important part, right? Cause this, this doesn't, this is basically free at a lot of places. I mean, if you want, I will name names, but I'm not here to promote anything. That's not the point of obviously besides my book. So <laughs> besides sure. my products, I'm not here to promote any particular <laughs> company or anything. So yeah, that's kind of, that's my takeaway there. If you want, I can name names, but yeah. We're looking for places with no fees. This is a change to the environment over the past couple of decades where fees were rampant and uh, now it's a very retail consumer friendly environment. So looking for partners with low to no fees to help you invest is a great place to start. Talk to us about this new book. Where can people get it? Tell us what it's about and then where can people connect with you? The subtitle is Proven Ways to Save Money and Build Your Wealth. And right, the the premise of it is like, there's a lot of beliefs in personal finance and investing, which I think are kind of like folklore or myth or people just came up with them and no one actually tested it with data. So it's like a data-driven guide to personal finance and investing. But don't worry, it's very accessible. My 75-year-old grandmother read it and she said she understood 70% of it despite not being anyone who's ever invested a day in her life, really. So that's my tribute to like, there's a lot of stories, a lot of fun stuff, good anecdotes, things in there that are useful. You can find it on Amazon, you can find it at Barnes & Noble, just keep buying. And also, if you have questions for me, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at dollars and data. I try to answer every DM I get. So feel free to reach out and ask me about that. But yeah, that's kind of what the book's about. Just like a data driven guide. I answer a bunch of questions, really. People have questions like, how do I save up for a house? I answer that question. How do I do this? You know, and I just kind of answer those questions. Each chapter is just a question being answered, basically. That's a great premise because I think a lot of folks, myself included, just got into investing, got into personal finance based on sayings, based on things that people said you should do, right? And the, having a breakdown of what the actual data shows and how you can move across this investing journey in a successful way uh, sounds like a great book to grab everybody. Nick, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Are you looking for someone to walk alongside you on your journey to family financial independence? Well, I would love to help you achieve your goals and help your family thrive. I work with couples, individuals, and families all around the U.S. via video chat and can assist in the following areas. Becoming debt-free, growing your net worth, crafting and sticking to your budget, reviewing Coast Fire plans, developing strategies to build generational wealth for your kids, and designing your future work-optional lifestyle. Doesn't that sound nice? (laughs) If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, you can book a time with me by visiting marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching. I would love to help you strengthen your family tree and live financially free. Visit marriagekidsandmoney.com slash coaching to learn more, or you can click the link in our show description. If you're looking to improve your financial situation, it helps when you're able to cut out unnecessary costs. Cell phone services are a necessity for sure, but we don't need to be overpaying for them, right? That's why I like Tello Mobile, a phone service worth talking about. We've been fully on board as a family with Tello for over two years now, and we are so happy that we made the switch. For us, the reception and data service is better than Verizon, and our costs were nearly cut in half. Tello runs on the T-Mobile network and it's wowing new customers like us with their rock bottom prices and stellar service. With over 10,000 reviews, Tello is rated as excellent on Trustpilot, and this is quite rare in the wireless world. Nicole and I went for the unlimited data, minutes, and texting plan for only 25 bucks per month 
each. Isn't that crazy? You heard that right. $25 is their most expensive plan, actually. And Tello is running a special offer for MKM listeners right now. Check out Tello today at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello and use the code MKM20 to get 20% off on your first month of service for any Tello plan above that $10 per month mark. Again, use MKM20 to get 20% off at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello, and you'll be supporting this show. Hurry up. The code is valid until April 19th, 2024. marriagekidsandmoney.com slash Tello. Investing for retirement takes time, patience, and consistency. Eventually, you'll reach a point where you don't need to contribute any more money to hit your retirement goals. That's what we call Coast Fire. On our Coast Fire segment today, we're going to interview David Freed from Minnesota. David and his wife, Allie, hit this Coast Fire milestone recently in their early 30s. Today, we're going to learn how they accomplished this family financial goal and how this affects their family journey going Going forward. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thank you very much for being here and sharing your story with us and being transparent. I know it helps a lot of people when we do these segments like this because it kind of helps them to get the nitty gritty of what's going on. To help people, I want to start doing this thing called the Coast Fire Five. These are going to be quick questions that you'll answer just to give people an understanding of what this whole Coast Fire thing is and how you've done it. Does that sound good? It sounds great. Awesome. All right, let's start with number one. How much do you have invested for retirement now? As of June 1st of 2022, we have about 470000 invested for retirement. About 365000 of that is actually in tax advantage accounts and the rest is other investments. Second question, how old are you and your spouse? Yeah, so I'm 31 and my wife, Allie, just turned 32. So almost a half a million dollars saved up at 31 and 32 in retirement. That is incredible. Okay. Number three, based on your Coast Fire calculations, how much will you have in retirement if you don't contribute anything else going forward? And I know this is particular for everybody else based on the calculations, but what would you project? Yeah, so I used a 7% inflation adjusted return. So I have that at about 4.7 million at 65, which I could have gotten to 60, but decided to go to 65. So yeah. That is incredible. The power of starting investing early will give you almost $5 million (laughs) by 65. And that is inflation adjusted, everybody. So you you think of $5 million today power. You know, if it was 10%, it's probably even something bonkers I won't even want to say. Number four, then how much income will this potentially provide you in retirement if you get to that 4.7 million? Yeah, so using the 4% rule, I believe it would be about a minimum, about $188,000 a year to live off of in, in retirement. And that is incredible. Okay, so number five, then how much income do you guys need to live comfortably today? With our giving and spending, it's around 6000 a month, so roughly just over 70000 a year. And obviously, we're, we plan to have more kids, and I'm sure our lifestyle will inflate slightly, but I can't see it getting much closer to that $188,000 mark. 
That is incredible. So the reason I like doing this quick math problem for everybody, because you can see then how much power time and compound interest can have for you. And based on that, I mean, you guys have so many options. It's like the power of the gap, right? Like with with investing and then keeping your expenses a lot lower than you actually need. It's pretty incredible. Well, thank you for going through those five quick answers with me. Now let's just talk about investing in general. What got you interested and motivated to start investing originally? Yeah, I didn't I didn't honestly learn much as a kid about investing. It was when I was about 18, I started to work for my dad actually over the summer before college and instead of really paying me any money, he basically took my earnings and put them into a Roth IRA. At the time I didn't really know what that was, but in hindsight very grateful that that happened. It was at the time it was in Ameriprise and I had a financial advisor that was managing it. So honestly, I didn't really know anything about what was going on. But fast forward to just after college, I was engaged to my now wife and I was over at her place one day and I saw Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University handbook on her shelf. And so I, you know, I don't know why, but I just started reading it and the rest is history. It was I just devoured the book and honestly, I'm not a big reader. <laughs> and since then I've, you know, read lots of personal finance books, but really from that point on, I, I always thought of how can I make sure I'm at least getting close to or maxing out my Roth IRA every year. And that's honestly a big part of what I shared earlier of our, our total investments because I got started early. That's a huge part of it. That's incredible. So you've been maxing out the Roth IRA for at least a decade then probably, it sounds like. Yeah. So the first, I would say five or six years, it wasn't always maxed out three, four, sometimes 5,000. But since about the age of 25, I would say it's for sure been maxed out every year. That's incredible. So outside of the Roth IRA, are there other, you mentioned tax advantaged accounts. Were you doing like a 401k through work or how, how does that work? Both my wife and I work, so we both have Roth IRAs and 401ks through work. I also have a solo 401k because I've done some freelancing and side work over the years, but mostly both our Roth IRAs and both of our 401ks are the majority of that investment pool. And so we've just, we've actually just got within the past two years, we've gotten to the point where we can comfortably max out both of our 401ks and still have enough to live on and even to be able to invest as well. So that obviously is a very, it's a comfortable point where you're like, wow, we're really cooking with fire here. Yeah. And everybody, I know, depending on when you're listening to this, you know, times could be different in the stock market, but this is a pretty low point right now when David and I are talking. So the fact that he's near 500,000 at the position he's in and these projections, that's pretty great. So even whatever, six months ago, it was probably even even higher. Is that right, David? Yep, it is. <laughs> right. Yep. So I think January 1st, it was pretty high. It's definitely lower now. But Knowing you've been investing for a good decade, we've had a really good last decade. So what are your feelings right now, knowing that you've hit this Coast Fire milestone with investing in general? Are you feeling nervous? Tell me what your feelings are. I think it's normal for all of us to be nervous, right? Because it looks like you're losing money. But because I've been fortunate enough to, you know, read some books, listen, listen to your podcast every now and then, it's just important to kind of try to master the psychology of investing. And if you're investing, you're not, you shouldn't be investing for the next 
couple years. You're investing for the long term and the stock market based on history always recovers whenever it dips. So I've just been try- tried to be hands off and really just focus on what we can contribute and not necessarily where, what the value of the shares is. Yeah. That's incredible. Well, knowing that we just did this math problem together where you have, you know, a potential future of nearly $200,000 per year available to you at 65 and you guys are spending, you know, call it $72,000, $70,000. And you said, yes, you might flight your lifestyle a little bit more as the house grows and things like that. But does that gap make you feel like, wow, I do want to slow down my contributions or stop my contributions and then divert at other places? Or what are your thoughts right now with regard to, I guess, the realities of this calculation? No, it doesn't really make me want to slow anything down. I think part of investing, and it's really like anything else, momentum really gives you more motivation. And fortunately, because my wife and I are both in careers that we enjoy right now, we're not really planning on slowing down. So we're still going to max out our retirement accounts, knowing that we don't necessarily have to wait until 60, 65 to use that money. But really now what's fun is we get to think about other things, people that we can bless with the money, also other investment avenues besides the stock market that we can get creative with. We're definitely going to be looking into real estate. I've actually looked into fine artwork a little bit and even a little bit of crypto. Emphasis on little. Um, but yeah, it's just opened up kind of our our horizons and kind of given us the, the ability to think bigger. And we definitely were planning on hopefully being able to retire before the, the typical age. But really, then it's doing work we enjoy, whether it's side projects or just kind of managing our investments potentially. I have met some people and they say, what do you do for a living? Oh, I manage our family's investments. Wouldn't that be a nice job title to provide? Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. That's incredible. That's incredible. So you talk about some of these different avenues that you're interested in, knowing that that is potentially out of this tax advantaged area, you know, the 401k IRA, maybe I, I just get stuck in it. Sometimes I feel like by putting it in those, I'm sort of locking it in to say, this is only for retirement. Do you have any of those feelings where it's like, okay, I'm going to maybe diversify across tax advantaged or taxable, or as you're talking about real estate and other areas, now that you know that you've achieved this coast fire level? Yeah, we've done a little bit of investing in taxable brokerage before we've gotten to a point where we're maxing out retirement accounts. But honestly, I think it'd be great to just get to a point where you can max those out first. There are there are still ways that you can access that money before you get to retirement age. So let's say you had, if you max out your 401k and you're out there, and then you're investing in a taxable brokerage account, depending on your lifestyle, if you, let's say, retired at 45 and could live off of your taxable brokerage account, depending on your lifestyle, you might not have to pay much at all on taxes if you take out that money, which is basically capital gains taxes. But the, the income requirements on that are, it might work out that you aren't paying any taxes. So, and you could also be doing 401k ladder during that time. And there's lots of tax strategies, honestly, that are way over my head still, but that's why we 
you know, talk to people that are smarter than us and we all learn. <laughs> that's great. And you have decades to explore some of those things, which is very relieving. So talk to the person that's listening right now and they're saying, this sounds great. I definitely want to do this. I can't seem to get my spouse to kind of care about investing. Knowing that you and Allie have sort of gone on this path together, would you have any advice for them? Yeah, my advice would be to dream together. That's the first place I'd start. And typically, if you're in a marriage with someone, you're going to have a lot of hardcore shared values where you're locked solid on certain things. And if you can get to a point where you can agree on some of your long-term goals and dreams when it comes to how much money we're going to need for this, or do we want to have a family lake home to have fun with the kids someday? So things like that, if you can agree on that, then you can backtrack that back to, okay, what do we have to do today to get there? And so if, if your spouse agrees with you on the long-term vision, then hopefully it'll be easier to convince them that the today steps are actually really important. I love it. I love it. Well, there's somebody also listening and they're saying, wow, this is incredible. I am not probably going to get to a half a million dollars by 30, 31, 32. I just need to start and I just can't seem to get myself to go because it just seems confusing and I don't know where to start. Like, what would you say to the person who's listening and just saying, I need to get started with investing? How can people keep it simple like you have and move towards a level for Coast Fire? Yeah, I would say don't let it get confusing. I know it's, it's easy to do that, but focus, the, the main piece of advice I would have is focus on spending less than you make and investing that money. Don't focus on the investments or do a deep dive into what to invest in. But really the, the key to all of this is being able to spend less than you make and invest the difference. So practically that could look like today. Three things. If you have an employer match for your 401k, Make sure you're contributing at least the minimum that you can get that matching contribution. Number two would be, sounds painful, but budget. (laughs) You can call it a spending plan or whatever you want, but the key is you need to spend your money intentionally. And it's proven that if you actually decide what you're going to spend your money on, you'll spend less of it and then you'll have more to invest. And then the third one is opening up a Roth IRA. Super easy and with only $6,000 a year, it's a fairly low um, max out. And if you can max out that out every year, you will be able to see some big gains. You could even set up an automatic contribution, 500 bucks a month. You can do that today. Pretty easy. I love it. This is great advice, David. Thank you so much for being here. I understand that you have a platform as well where you help people. Can you tell people where to go if they want to learn more? Yeah, so I'm on all the social platforms, but most of my content is coming out on Instagram. So you can follow me at WealthyWeds. So it's kind of like newlyweds, but wealthy weds, one word. Similar to you, Andy, I'm, I'm passionate about healthy marriages, healthy families. And I, I really like to marry that, that topic with personal finance. I, I really believe that with the right guidance, any marriage can win with money together. And it's way more fun if you actually do it together and not separately. I love this, David. Yeah, if you guys are on Instagram, if you want to follow some positive messages, definitely follow David, Wealthy Weds. David, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Andy, thank you. Pleasure as always. As a quick reminder, this show is for entertainment purposes only, my friends. Be sure to seek out a professional for your specific financial situation, especially with all this investing stuff we talked about today. 
Before we go for the day, I want to ask you to join me and 1,400 others in our Thriving Families Facebook community. We are all about sharing and helping each other thrive. Recently, group member Colin shared this good news with us. My wife and I are closing on our first house at the end of the month. We're excited to finally be able to get settled in our own space after renting for eight years. Looking to get investing for our future slash retirement in the very near future. Nice work, Colin. That's awesome. Buying a home, man, that is a huge undertaking, especially in this market. And taking some time to get settled, as you say, and enjoy it is really important, especially after this wild market that you probably just experienced, man. And I know you mentioned investing. Now is an excellent time to jump in. Once you start investing, you can take Nick Majuli's advice and just keep buying through dollar cost averaging in tax advantaged accounts like he talked about. And you can take David Freed's advice to not get too overwhelmed by all the noise and just start. I hope these two interviews and our Thriving Families Facebook group are a good resource for your future days as an investor and as a happy homeowner. Can I get a round of applause for our friend Colin, everybody? All right, man, that's great. I'm so happy for you and your new home. If you want to share your family financial wins with us and have a place for people to hold you accountable to your goals, well, please join us in our Thriving Families Facebook group at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. That's marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. We use this group as a way to stay in touch with each other. We do meetups probably once a quarter. So yeah, you want to join, hang out with us in digital land as well as in person every once in a while. It's a good place to do it. We hope to see you there. In the spirit of growth and inspiration, I'm going to end the show with a quote today from Warren Buffett. The most important quality for an investor is temperament, not intellect. Keep investing for your future and it will pay, my friends. Carpe diem. 